You are listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians 4. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Paul, for reading our text. There was a commercial that was on TV when I was a kid back in the 1980s, and I'm wondering if some of you might remember this commercial. It has a dad who comes into his son's bedroom and he turns off the music and he opens up a little cigar box and it's got some drug paraphernalia in there. And he says, who taught you how to do this stuff? And there's this awkward tension. Do you remember this commercial? And the the kid finally blurts out back to dad, you, all right, I learned it by watching you. And then the the commercial has a narrator with kind of a a tagline at the end where he says, parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. Anybody, some of you maybe remember that, you remember that, okay, maybe maybe you've lived that or something, but it's intended to be a powerful commercial, of course, and obviously at least stuck in my brain as a kid, I remember it still, a reminder to parents that our kids will imitate us for better or worse worse. And so if we want our kids to live a certain way, then we need to make sure that we are living a certain way. So our kids are imitators. Our text today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in this series in 1 Corinthians. We're calling the series Extreme Makeover Church Edition, like the slide we have up on the screen here. And we we call it that because in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is basically remodeling the church in Corinth. He's addressing major problems in the church, and he's calling upon the church to get busy fixing their big problems. So when we get to chapter 5 here in a couple of weeks, and then on from there, we're going to find huge problems in the church in Corinth, very significant problems in the church, and lots of them. But before Paul gets to kind of his his list of all these problems he's going to rattle his way through in the rest of the book, he starts in chapters 1 through 4, the first four chapters, addressing the problem of divisions in the church. That the Corinthians have been fighting with one another, they've been quarreling with each other, and we've seen in these first few chapters that the thing they're fighting over more than anything else at this point at least is about which of the leaders they are most impressed by, which of their Christian leaders they want to follow, and they're dividing into groups over who is more eloquent and who's more influential, Paul or Peter or Apollos and others. And so for three chapters now, and now today into the fourth chapter, Paul has been addressing this problem. Stop fighting, Stop quarreling. This is not the kind of thing you should be fighting over. We're all on the same team. These are the messages we've been seeing. And now today, Paul in chapter 4, continuing on addressing this issue, now today he says, here are the kinds of Christian leaders you actually need. Here are the kinds of people you should be looking for in your Christian faith in order to imitate them. Not leaders who are flashy necessarily, or who are eloquent, or some of those other things you might look for. Instead, Paul says, you need leaders, you need people you can imitate who are faithful servants of Christ and who are humble. Okay, so this is our outline 
for today. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow along there and take notes up here on the screen as well. First, we're going to see that servant leaders, and we'll talk about what that phrase means or where we come up with that idea, they should be faithful. Second, that they should be humble. And then third and finally, when we find that person, that leader who is a servant, who is humble, who is is faithful, then we should imitate them. Okay, so as we work through these three points, and we'll work through the text as well today, more or less verse by verse, if you want to have your Bible open. But as we work through this today, the question that I hope we'll all ask of ourselves or be thinking about in our own minds is, who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? Am I imitating a person who is leading me toward being more like Christ? Or maybe we could say, who should I imitate? Who's the person I will look to and imitate? And then we could also ask the reverse of that question, what if someone else is imitating me? Will they become more like Christ by imitating me and my life? As we're thinking about imitation here along the way. So our first point now, servant leaders should be faithful. Servant leaders should be faithful. Look in verse 1. Here's how Paul starts chapter 4, verse 1. He says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When Paul says us here, this is how you should regard us. Paul is talking about himself as an apostle, along with Peter the apostle and Apollos. These are the guys he's been mentioning by name. Along the way in the first few chapters, he's just mentioned them in verse 22 of chapter 3. So he's talking about these leaders in the church. And really, Peter, Paul, Apollos, these are some of the highest leaders in the church in that day. People who, if anybody had authority or power in the church, it was them. But now Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, here's how you should think of us, though. Not in terms of our authority or power, whatever those things amount to for us as apostles and leaders. He says, but you should regard us, think of us as servants and stewards. The the concept Paul's setting forth here, this is where sometimes we use this phrase as Christians of a servant leader, a servant leader, a, a person who in one sense, yeah, they're in a position of leadership or In the church as Christians, we look to them as a leader in some way. But in reality, the way they are living, what qualifies them for leadership, the way we regard them is as servants. So Paul says, regard us, yeah, we're leaders, but regard us as servants of Christ. Jesus is the master, not us. Jesus has authority, and we are servants of Jesus just like everyone else. And not just servants, but Paul says we are stewards. If you go back in the first century, a steward was kind of like a manager, but, but if anything, probably with even more authority than what we would think of a manager having today. If you had a, a large estate, a very wealthy person with a big estate, lots of employees, lots of slaves, lots of people involved in this estate, the master, the, the owner of this estate had more important things to do than to run their estate. You know, there were spa treatments to go get. There's fun to be had at the gymnasium. There's hobbies to have. 
And so he needs somebody to run his estate for him. And so a steward is the person the master puts in charge of all of his affairs. Run the whole estate, the master says to a steward. Be in charge of everything. So Paul says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted to us the mysteries of God. Now, what are the mysteries of God? Well, back in chapter 2, verse 7, and elsewhere in Paul's letters, he talks about mysteries, or this idea that there are secrets and hidden truths of God. But Paul's point in all of that, this is what we saw back in chapter 2, is that God has made the mystery known. Not that there are secret hidden things, but that God has revealed it now. And that what was secret that's now revealed, the mystery that's been revealed, is about Christ and about Christ crucified, that Jesus has died for us and for our sins and been raised from the dead. It's the gospel message. And so Paul says, we are stewards of this message. We are servants of Jesus, who is Lord, who is our master. And as stewards, in verse 2, if we keep going, in verse 2, Paul says, the most important thing about a steward is that a steward ought to be found faithful in the eyes of their master. So Paul says, we are stewards of God. We answer to God as our master, and he requires of us that we are faithful to him. This is the standard, Paul says. This is who we answer to. And so he goes on in verse 3 to say, so at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how you judge me or how other people judge me, whether you think I'm competent or not in my job and in my work and in what I'm doing. In fact, Paul says, I don't even judge myself. Well, but then in verse 4, Paul qualifies and says, well, but at the same time, I'm not aware of anything against myself. As far as I know, Paul says, I'm being faithful as a servant, as a steward, doing my best to honor my master, the Lord Jesus. If I knew where I could improve, I would certainly do it. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who judges me. He will decide how I've done as a steward, and I answer to him. And so we put all this together, and Paul says, here's how you should think of us, leaders, apostles even. He says, Throw all that to the side. We are servants called to be faithful before God as his stewards. The question is, are we faithful before God? That's what is required of us. In those days, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, in those days in Corinth, still this way today in a lot of ways, it's very tempting for us as Christians to evaluate other Christians, especially Christian leaders, based on other criteria of success. Do I like them? Are they an eloquent speaker? Are they fun? How big is their church? How popular are they? In today's world, a little more than in the first century, how many followers do they have on Twitter anyway? How many views do they get on the YouTube? Those kinds of things aren't necessarily bad. But Paul says that's not how you should be thinking 
about your leaders, about who you're going to follow, who you're going to imitate. Your leaders are servants, they're stewards called to be faithful before God. That is what counts. And so when we ask ourselves, and this is where Paul is going, he's going to talk about imitation, who you're going to imitate. When we're asking, who will I imitate in following Christ? What kind of person am I looking for to be a role model for me as a Christian? We're looking for a faithful servant. A faithful servant. Who is the Christian around me, in our church here, or in my life, who is faithfully serving Christ in all of their life, in their home, in their marriage if they're married, in their work, in the church, in their community. They're faithfully following Christ. They may or may not be flashy, but so far as you can tell, they're faithful. That's the person to imitate. I was trying to think of examples of these kinds of Christians who are faithful like this, faithful as servants. And so many examples I could think of, it was hard to pick one, but here's just one example. I was thinking about a couple, probably about 55 years old or so at the time we knew them. This is when we lived in Philadelphia, so about 15 years ago. And we were part of a church in inner city uh, Philadelphia in an African-American neighborhood, a black neighborhood. It was a very rough neighborhood. There were row houses there. Everybody lived in row houses. It was full of poverty, lots of crime. And this particular couple that I'm thinking of, this man was very successful as a businessman. He had a pretty high position in his company, was doing very well. Their kids had grown up and left home. And so they decided that they wanted to move into this neighborhood because they wanted to help reach people there. And so they bought a house in this part of inner city Philadelphia, and they looked for a house where they could host people in their homes and do ministry and things. Every Sunday morning, he was still working during the week, but every Sunday morning, they would arrive early to the church. He would meet with the pastor for prayer, and then he would go out and pick up people around the community to bring them to church. And while he was doing that, his wife was preparing food and they made sure there was always food there for the folks who were coming to the church. And they were unbelievably kind and gracious to everybody, helping people in all kinds of dif difficult circumstances. One of the most patient people I've known had time for everybody, to listen to everybody, to pray with people, a faithful servant. And as I was thinking about him and his wife this week, and kind of racking my brain, I have to be honest with you and tell you that now, 15 years later, I can't even remember his name. And I didn't ask you if you remember their names. You don't remember their names either? In that kind of the way. Like, that seems to be what Paul's describing here. This is what faithful service looks like. Not flashy, not popular, not eloquent, those sorts of things. Humble, faithful service. So he's at least one example of this kind of, he and his wife, of faithful service. That also leads us into our second point, that servant leaders should be humble, because they were that as well. And in fact, I can't remember their name, perhaps shows how humble they are, or just how forgetful I am. But we'll, we'll say that that's an attribute of theirs. It's their humility that causes me to forget 
their names. But our second point, servant leaders should be humble. They should be humble. Verse 6, as we keep going through our text, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, so that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. We're putting all this to work in our own lives, he says. But he says, you know, you guys need to learn something here to the Corinthians. You're puffed up, you're boasting, as if one is more favorable than another, arguing over it. And by doing that, Paul says, you're going beyond what Scripture says when Scripture says to be humble, to not boast like this. And so Paul asks in verse 7 some humbling questions. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything we have, Paul is saying, everything we have is a gift from God. If you have a talent or I have a talent, if we have wealth, if we have experience, if we have wisdom, eloquence, if we have good looks, whatever it is that we have, it's come from God. So if there are differences among you, Paul is saying, it's only because God in his wisdom and his grace chose to give something to someone here and not to someone there and give them something different. And if it's God who is giving these things and we just receive them, why would we boast as if somehow I have attained something or I'm better than someone else? And then Paul goes on and he basically mocks them in their boasting. This is, this is great from Paul. In, in verse 8, he, he mocks their boasting. You're acting like you already have it all, as if you're rich, as if you are kings and queens right now and you reign somehow. And Paul says in verse 8, boy, wouldn't it be great if you really were kings and queens? You're acting like kings and queens. Wouldn't it be great if you really were? Because then we could reign together. And wouldn't life be so much better if we were all kings and queens? The problem Paul is saying is that you're boasting as if Christ has called us to be rich and successful and powerful right here and right now, as if that's what this Christian life is about. But what is the actual experience, Paul now says, of true Christian leaders? People like, say, the apostles. What kind of experience are they having in following Christ? Well, in verse 9, Paul says, I, I think, it you know, sure looks to me, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. This is verse 9. Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Okay, what's Paul saying here? Paul is just using here the, the imagery of what they would have known in the first century, what's called, or what was called at that time, a triumphal procession. A triumphal procession. So here's how this works. When a king in the first century and in that time in history, when a king would take his army out to war, and he's going to go battle against another kingdom. And so they leave and they travel off and they go and they make war in some foreign land. And when that king and his army wins the war, they conquer another kingdom. This could take a long period of time, years sometimes. 
Now this king is going to return home in victory. And when they arrive home, and especially when they get to their capital city, there would be what was called a triumphal procession, like an enormous parade, far more, the most extravagant parade you can imagine. Sometimes the parade would take several days. The, the whole town would be decorated. Everybody's excited. The army comes marching in victorious and celebrating. They bring in all of the plunder that they've gathered from this defeated nation, all the gold, the statues, the treasures. They drag all that through the town. There's herds of cattle that they're going to take and they're going to slaughter to have a big feast. Everybody in the city gets steak okay, to celebrate that they've come. And then eventually the king himself comes. He's in his best chariot, all kinds of extravagance. The people are celebrating the king coming into town in victory. At the end of the procession, the back of the line, comes the defeated king and his family and his advisors. And this is very shameful for them to have lost the war, to be drugged off to this foreign nation now, to be led in as a spectacle in this town. The people would boo, jeer, throw things, mock them. And at the end of the parade, the king, his family, his advisors would be tortured and killed most often in one way or another, thrown to the wild beasts, brought into a stadium for the gladiators to kill and so on. So here's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, you're boasting. As Christians, you're puffed up. Like following Christ is a path to success and victory and fame. Like you're the king in the king's chariot with adoring crowds singing your praises. But in reality, our experience as apostles ought to be showing you that following Christ is actually like being at the back of the procession, being the losers. It's the lowly path of loss, of suffering, of shame. That's our experience, Paul says. And so he says in verse 10, look at the contrast between our experience and what you guys seem to think the Christian experience is. We are fools for Christ's sake. This is verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're oh so wise in Christ. We're weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor. We in disrepute. There's a disconnect here, Paul says. Something is off between us. The way that you think this Christian thing ought to work out and the way it's actually working out for us. And you can almost imagine, at least I can almost imagine, the Corinthians saying, yeah, you're right, there's a disconnect and a problem here, Paul, because you're a loser. You keep suffering. You just haven't figured out how to be successful like us. And Paul says, no, that's not the problem. <laughs> in fact, the language Paul uses, if you remember back to chapter 1, back in chapter 1, Paul said, our message as Christians, remember our message is Christ crucified, that, that Christ suffered and died for us, that God sent his king and he died on a cross. That's our message. And Paul said in chapter 1, our message at the center of our Christian faith, it's a message of foolishness and weakness. 
Those are the words Paul used in chapter 1 to describe the message of the cross, foolishness and weakness. In chapter 2, we saw Paul say, this message of foolishness and weakness, this is what shapes our ministry, how God calls us to live in the way of the cross, a way of foolishness and weakness. And so now Paul says, this is what we are, this is the experience we're having as fools, as weak. Where do you get this idea that we should be wise and powerful in the eyes of the world and be highly regarded and respected? And then in verses 11, 12, and 13, Paul describes his suffering in great detail. Okay, here's Here's the way to recruit people to the Christian faith. Okay, you want to follow Christ? Here's what you can expect. Okay, here's what he says in verses 11, 12, and 13. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Scum and refuse, Paul says. That's who we are in this world. The worthless stuff you throw away. In the world back then, just like today, people wanted a leader who's, who's a somebody. We want somebody to lead us who's successful, who's honorable, who's highly regarded. Find that person and imitate them. Paul says in the church, this is another one of those values that gets flipped upside down. Leaders are actually servants and stewards. They're humble and they suffer loss for Christ. So if you want to find the leader that you should imitate, the Christian you should seek to be like, look for the leader, look for the Christian who has given up honor and fame for Christ. Look for the Christian who is content to have less to do without for the sake of Christ. Look at how they react when they are mistreated. What do they do when people revile them? Do they bless those who revile them? How do they respond to slander? Are they willing to be treated poorly by other people in order to be faithful to Christ? Do they continue faithfully serving Christ even when it brings hardship into their lives? That's the Christian that you should follow and imitate. It's been a few years ago now I had lunch with a young man. I'd never met him before, but he was interested in becoming a pastor. And someone told him, hey, you should talk to Adam. And so we set this up and we had lunch together I thought, well, this is a good chance to get in front of this with this guy and tell him what he really needs to hear, which is don't do it. Get out while you still can. Don't, no, not, I'm, well, I'm kind of half joking. But I, I asked him, why do you want to be a pastor? Why do you want to be in a leadership position in the church? He said, more or less, this is my summary of what he said. He said he wanted to be able to help other people by giving them advice on how to live. And the best way to have the biggest impact on the most people is to be on a stage with a crowd of people listening to what you have to say. 
And he basically described being a pastor as being in this leadership position where you're in the spotlight, highly respected, with crowds of adoring fans. And in fairness to him, he was a young Christian. He was very sincere. His, his faith, his expectations were being shaped by some popular speakers that he was seeing on TV and on YouTube, and he really wanted to be the same, to have this, this path of success and of popularity and of influence. And as he said that, I couldn't help but think of passages like this. Because Paul did not envision himself riding in that chariot as a king in triumph with adoring crowds blowing him kisses. He said, no, I think God calls us to be at the back of the line, the defeated king, suffering loss from Christ. It turns out that the Christians we ought to look up to and imitate we actually have to look down to find them. They're at the bottom. They're losing. They're sacrificing. They're servants. So what do we do then when we look around us and we find that Christian around us, that servant who may or may not be in a position of leadership, but we'll call him a servant leader, the faithful humble Christian, what should we do when we find that Christian? Paul says, imitate them. And this is what takes us to our third point now, that servant leaders should be imitated. Third point, servant leaders should be imitated. In verse 14, Paul adjusts his tone. He's been hard on these Christians in Corinth, and he's going to continue to be hard on them. In fact, he'll get even harder in some ways as we keep going through the letter. But in verse 14, Paul shifts almost to a tone of love. And he explains why he is speaking so firmly and directly to them. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Okay, so he's been talking about apostles and leaders and servants in the church. Now he says, here's, here's a new kind of language, a new way of thinking about our relationship, he says. And now Paul adopts language of, of a parent, like I'm a father and you are my beloved children. So verse 15, he carries on this, you're my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You have countless guides, Paul says. The word he uses here for guide was more or less referring to what, would, what we might think of as a nanny in today's world. This would have been a servant or a slave in the household who was responsible for the children, for the child care in the household. Make sure they're dressed, make sure they're bathed, get them where they need to be, give them an education, those sorts of things. And Paul says, you have a lot of child care workers. You have a lot of people in the church who are watching out for you, who are teaching, who are helping you along the way. But now Paul kind of plays his, his ace in the hole, his trump card here. He says, but I am your spiritual father. I have a special bond with you, a special love for you. 
And Paul's drawing here on his history that he has with these Corinthians. If you remember from previous messages, remember that Paul had been in Corinth for a year and a half. Paul was the first one to show up with the gospel in Corinth. He preached the gospel to them. He brought them to Christ. He brought them to faith. He started the church. And so Paul has this genuine love for them, like a father with his spiritual children. He says, I'm admonishing you here out of my fatherly love for you as my children. And then he gives his big command in verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now that almost seems counterintuitive to everything Paul's just said. It almost sounds prideful or, or boasting. Don't imitate those other guys. Imitate me because I'm the guy who's got it all together. But what Paul's doing here, and this is what Paul does this several times in his letters. Paul is actually boasting, but he's boasting in his weakness. And he'll use that phrase, boasting in his weakness, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, when I boast, I boast in my weaknesses, because it's in my weakness that God's power and his grace are made manifest and made perfect in me. And so Paul is saying, look at all of my weaknesses, Look at all of my sufferings for you and the church. Look at my faithfulness as a servant to Christ. And for those reasons, imitate me. I'm not boasting about my gifts, Paul says, or my eloquence, my ability to speak, my, my power, my position, my apostleship. I have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord Jesus. I'm not even talking about that. My weaknesses the sacrifices I made, my losses, that's why you should imitate me. And Paul says, you know me. You know how I live. We spent a year and a half together. You've watched my life. Do what I would do. WWPD. What would Paul do? Imitate me. And just in case, he says in verse 17, just in case somehow you've forgotten how I live or you missed something or you're not sure here or there, don't worry, I've sent Timothy to you. Timothy, he's my beloved and faithful child of the Lord. He knows how I live. He's imitating me and doing quite well at it. So learn from him. He'll remind you of any reminders you need about my way in Christ. And then Paul throws in the last couple of verses. And by the way, if you don't get this figured out, if you can't take the loving admonishment I'm giving you and imitate me, well, I will come and visit you. And like a father, I can bring some discipline too. So when I come visit you, I can come with love and gentleness and we can all sing kumbaya because we're all following Christ together faithfully. Or if you don't think you want to quite come around on this, well, I can bring the rod of discipline. And we'll have some tough talk. And I'll correct things and get things figured out. So your choice how I'm going to come, Paul says. Much easier, though, for you and for me, if you just start imitating me now. And so it's a lesson for all of us that the best way to learn how to follow Christ is through imitation. Be careful who you imitate, but imitate someone. Find someone whose life you know well 
who's serving Christ faithfully and humbly in all of life, find that person and do whatever they do. I once knew a young man who, when he was a boy, he really wanted to be a baseball pitcher. And he was on a baseball team as a kid, and he wasn't one of the better players on the team. He didn't get much time with the ball. He was not a pitcher. And so what he started doing as a kid is he would watch baseball on TV. And he would, whoever was pitching, he would watch real close and study what the pitcher was doing. And then he'd go out in his backyard and he would throw baseballs against his fence, trying to do whatever the pitcher did. And when he figured out, I don't know what he did with his foot, when he, like, they lift up their foot and do something, he'd go back in and watch, how do they lift up their foot? Where do they place their foot? Where are their hands? How do they hold their head? How do they start? How do they end up? What are all the motions and mechanics of it? And back and forth and back and forth he would go from the TV to his backyard, trying to do what he could see those pitchers doing on TV. Over time, he became a pretty good pitcher, and now he's pitching in the World Series. No, I'm just kidding. He's not pitching in the World Series. But he did go on to pitch in college. He improved a lot. More and more, I find myself giving similar advice to young Christians. If you want to grow in Christ, find a mature Christian, someone you respect, someone who has these virtues we're talking about. They're a faithful servant of Christ, and then spend as much time with them as you can, watch what they do, and do whatever they do. Or Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says it this way, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and then this, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider the Christians closest to you, those whose lives you know best. Think carefully about how they live their lives and how it plays out. And those whose lives really demonstrate faithful and humble service to Christ, imitate them. That's Hebrews 13, verse 7. I want to be a better husband or wife and honor Christ in my marriage. That's fantastic. What a great goal. You're a married man, you want to be a better husband? Find a Christian man whose marriage you respect, who honors Christ in his marriage, and get to know him, watch what he does, and do whatever he does. Of course, use your brain, because you'll probably find some areas where he's still growing and isn't perfect, but on the whole, imitate him. How does he spend his time? When does he go to bed? When does he get up? What are his habits? How does he talk to his wife? How does he spend his money? What does he do when he's tired? How does he react when he's angry or upset or sad or tired? Imitate him. If his life is turning out the way you want your life to turn out, if it's, his life is, has gone where you want your life to go, imitate him. Early in our marriage, I had a few older men in my life, and all I knew how to do, I'm just going to try to be like them. When we had our kids, Susie and I talked a lot about who do we want to imitate as parents. And we identified a couple of Christian families who had raised their kids and we're seeing how their kids are turning out. We thought we'd like our kids to be like their kids. And so then we did everything we could to remember how did they handle their kids? What were the things they would say to their kids? How did they discipline? How did they do this? How did they do that? When we ran into situations we didn't know what to do, we would just call them and ask, what would you do? 
in this situation. Over time, we found ourselves talking to our kids and then realizing that sounded an awful lot like someone else. I don't think I came up with that at all. Imitating them. We want our home to be like their home, so let's do what they do. I think I can say this for myself at this point in my life, that any virtue that I have or anything in my life where it might seem like I've figured something out about following Christ, if you ask me about it in particular, maybe, maybe I could make this a test for myself, but if you ask me about it in particular, I could probably tell you who I've learned it from and who I'm imitating. And the list is very long. Some of you know, think of it for me as a pastor. Where did I learn how to preach? How do I do a funeral, ministry task? All I'm doing is imitating other people. You think, you think I got this all figured out? I'm just, I'm just doing what other people did before me. How do we do outreach? How do we love people? In our home, in our family, why did we buy the house we bought? Because I saw other people buy houses like that before me and thought, I want to buy a house like that someday. All the way down to, now this might be a little too much information, but why do I dress the way I dress? Would you believe I'm imitating other people who follow Christ? who dress the way I dress. It's all learned from someone else, for better or worse. So who are you imitating? Whose life are you watching? And where are they leading you? And are you growing in faithfulness as a servant of Christ yourself in such a way that if somebody else starts watching you, that they will find themselves following Christ faithfully by imitating you. Now, could you say, maybe today or maybe at some point in the future, could you say sincerely what Paul says in this text? To the best of my knowledge, my life is faithful to Christ. I don't know of any reason in my own life why that couldn't be said. And then to be able to say, so imitate me, because if you imitate me, you'll be following Christ faithfully. Is that where your life is going? Who taught you how to do this? I learned it by watching you. And by the grace of God, may we be a church full of servant leaders who are faithful servants, faithful stewards before God and humble. And may we learn to imitate those people among us. May we grow into being those people ourselves so that others can imitate us and ultimately so that all of us can grow in Christ and serve him faithfully. May that be true of us, Grace Church of Mapton. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mapton. For more information, visit our website at mapptongbc.org.